This is a conversation with Patty Lance. Hi, Patty. Hi, Serge. How are you? Good, good. So, um, maybe we could start with uh, what's the passion for you? Passion in general or with as a somatic experiencing person? Um, well, <laughs> they're not different. <laughs> Um, so, so even though this one is about somatic experiencing, I really like the way you introduce the fact that there's more to life and there's differences and the larger context of your passion for somatic experiencing. It, there's a way in which it's no different. It is the same. Um, in that what I think I love about the learning in the nervous system, and that started for me well before somatic experiencing study, is... Um, the more I pay attention, the more I notice what's going on in my felt sense, the more I, more present I am to whatever I'm doing. If that's hanging out the clothes, if that's walking my dog, if that's snowshoeing or skiing, if that's at work, it just brings me more alive, more, it, I mean, I'm, I'm there, but it brings more awareness to, to, so, and I think for me, because I love neurology, I love understanding, and I love when I don't understand. I mean, I love that paradox of the more I understand, the more there is, there's more awe, there's more, oh my gosh, is this really what's going on? And, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, but I think the more that I learn about how this organism I live in works, the more I, the more deeply I experience it, the more deeply I feel, the, the less I, afraid I am of my emotions, both joy and anger or fear. Yeah. 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 So that, that quality of the enjoyment of knowing yourself more and of the presence, the quality of presence it gives your life and the aliveness and enjoyment of life that comes from that. Yes. Yes. And sensing that more in other people. Mm. It's not just my own. I mean, when I sense it in other people, it is a felt sense I get. But when I notice, just as we started and you said, you, as I said something and you said, oh, there's the inner smile. It's like even through this silly computer, you saw that and sensed it in me. Yeah. So to me, that's connection. That's relationship. That's the humanness of us. Yeah, yeah. So that sense of uh, how resonance works when uh, you resonate inside and resonate with other people and there's that connection with the deep inside resonance and the resonance with other people. Other people or the mountain or the sky. I mean, it's, it's that resonance that goes beyond just human to human. It's the, that nature of... I think of being on this planet, you know, that capacity for resonance on all those subtle levels. Yeah, yeah. So it feels very nice. And as we're talking, I'm feeling also a sense of um, inner vibration, uh, of, um, of resonance, of aliveness, of stimulation, of uh, connection. And uh, I'm mentioning it so that um, I can bring that quality uh, of, of, of my experience of the conversation to people yeah. who are listening I, it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, and so we had talked about okay the, the, that passion in a larger sense and the passion in a you know smaller sense in a way professionally, and you're uh, a lot of people who study SE are people who are therapists. Uh, yes. Your background is as a physical therapist and yoga teacher. Yes. So. Um, well, um, yeah. <laughs> um, there's not a lot of us physical therapists that are studying somatic experiencing or other paradigms of trauma in the body. And I was a sensory integration therapist working with children with dysregulation for years. And that's, it's the same thing. It's a little different twist on it, but it's still trying to understand what, what goes on to make, um, to allow a nervous system to be organized and graceful and, you know, that it can move through transitions of life with ease and grace and what happens to a child who's clumsy. You know, people say, well, they're just clumsy. Well, the nervous system is designed to be graceful. <laughs> so mm. clumsiness is a level of dysregulation. So that was always very curious to me of what can we do to invite more coordination, more ease into how this child plays on the playground. So that's long-term practice for me. And then when I started looking at it in terms of what what are, are the things that come into um disrupt that normal resonance and integrity and smooth quality of our nervous system. Um, and then when I was learning the SE work, when I was studying, as we said before, even though it's such um, a body-based model or an integrative model, it's not about leaving our brains out. I think for a while it was like, well, my brain has to go away. And it's like, no, <laughs> it is part of this. <laughs> it's not because then we're, we're, we're segmenting in the same way that we do when we just live in our brains. But um, I sort of couldn't figure out how to do this as a PT. It's like, yeah, but people are coming to me because they've got physical pain in their body. And it was a bit of a dance to try to figure out how do I use this understanding to integrate more of what I do. Um and now I can't, um, yeah, and so I've loved and struggled with the integration part of, because um, I would see myself sort of slipping into being more of a psychotherapist. It's like, that's not, you know, I'm out of my water here. Yeah. I'm going to get both in trouble if I go there. And I came close a few times. Uh, Kathy Kane was very helpful. I would call her and say, and she said, Patty, who's driving the bus here? That's her phrase of if the physical symptoms are driving the bus you're where you need to be. If their attachment issues and their relationships are driving the bus, not that they're not going to show up, but then that's time to refer. And I had to dance with that a bit so that I didn't get seduced into um, being something that I don't have skill with. And yeah. that edge is getting, it's a murky edge. There's no delineation, but I feel like I know when I'm getting to where it's becoming too murky. Yeah. And I'm where I should be. And there's plenty to do in the physical body, so I don't need to go looking for something else. It's, but, you know, I, I, I want to maybe just slow down some of it because they're so rich, what you're saying. And a, a few things that I want to maybe highlight okay. is that sense of, um, you know, bef even before uh, you're interested in SE or aware of the existence of SE, there's that sense of looking at uh, things like clumsiness as a symptom, 
and yeah. saying, okay, it's there. It's not an essential characteristic. It's not, a, you know, something that this is what this person is. But this right. is, a, you know, there is a process in the human being that is, you know, the nervous system that is that flow. And this process is disrupted. Right. And so, in a way, as you find SE, uh, there is that resonance with uh, some way of thinking that is yes. profoundly in agreement with yes. that way of looking at people. Right. right. Um, and, uh, and so that feels very nice to, uh, you know, to have in a way that meeting of the minds there. Right. And then, uh, as you get deeper into it, understandably, a lot of it, you know, because you're not just interested in, in a way, physical things as, uh, things that exist in and of themselves, but you see them as part of something larger. It's very understandable that then, you know, there would be a, a pull and a seduction to going into the more psychological parts. And I find really fascinating to see this part of being pushed and pulled in one direction <laughs> and figuring out, in a way, where is me? Where is my area of greatest competence? Right. And it's not that you're unskilled maybe in things psychological, but maybe your area, your focus, your area of greater skill is going to be the physical part. And I like, you know, hearing about maybe a little more about, you know, that uh, pendulum effect of being pulled there and figuring out where the boundary is and where you want to focus without putting it in terms that would be, you know, diskilling your ability to, to actually understand psychological phenomena. Right. Um, well, it's like anything else. If I, if I have a broader understanding of something... Um, then I have more um, tools to pick and choose from, but I'm going to tend to choose those where I have more finesse. Um, for example, I, I teach, I've taught for a number of years uh, a, can- a yoga class for cancer patients. And these, it's mostly women. We have some men that come periodically, but... Um, and with all kinds of different diagnoses, and they teach me, they teach me how to teach yoga. Mm. And with this particular group, I mean, I'm a physical therapist, so I look at alignment and I look at what's the knee doing and what's the shoulder doing, and it's so clear to me that that's not what I'm inviting so much from these people who are, you know, dealing with their own process going through cancer. Some come come before they've ever had treatment in preparation for, you know, surgery. Some come in the middle of their chemo. Some days they're exhausted and they come and they just lie down with their legs up the wall. So everybody in that room is doing something different. So they have taught me how to respond to 25 different people who may have very differing needs that day. Mm-hmm. And so I can feel myself, you know, feeling you know, the, the possibility is there for me to feel really stretched. Like, how do I attend to all of these? But what I find is that when I can come back and take a breath, the whole room takes a breath. So there's that collective, you know, it's our mirror neuron process. And what they go away with, you know, many have had surgery and they've got tight shoulders from uh, mastectomies or from radiation but when they can open out their arms and breathe into their chest, the rest of their bodies rest. And then 
I, you know, I may just mention something like, you know, you can take this into your next session with your doctor. Mm-hmm. When you're finding out whatever the next bit of treatment or what your last test shows, because that's so challenging for them. And I often say that if we only do yoga on our little two by six foot sticky mat, it's a pretty selfish practice. But if we learn from that how to go into my next chemo session, how to interact with my son who's driving me nuts, <laughs> then we're so and that to me is S.E., it is that sense of how if I can notice this moment that I can take a deeper breath, maybe when I'm afraid at my next appointment with my doctor, I'll have the capacity to take a deeper breath. Mm. So, so in a way, uh, that yoga session uh, can be the, the essence of it is in that moment of the person taking a breath and that person can be you as the teacher taking a breath and noticing the impact on everybody in the room. And it can right. be the one of the people in the room taking a breath and uh, learning from that, having That's an right. experience that they right. can translate into other moments as well. And can they work physically really hard in a pose and still take a breath? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and learning when do I push because you know putting effort into something is a wonderful thing to have. Ac- you know, having access to working hard is a really good skill. But if we just push and shove all the time and don't know how to back off, so someday it we may do the same thing and feel what it feels like to work really hard in that pose. And then what would it feel like to do that pose in a really relaxed way? And come back and do it really, you know, working your muscles really hard. And so that's that pendulation that, that we do of what does that feel like? And make your choice. If, if working really hard and still finding your breath feels really alive and empowering, go for it. Work your guts out. If it feels like that's bringing aggression and um, I have to do this better, then notice that. And see what it would feel like to back off from that a little bit. So really using that physical action to sense that deeper, more subtle felt sense, not just the sensation of the muscles working. Yeah, yeah. So, so really, um, uh, I have a sense of that, that enrichment, that sense of widening of what the moment is, um, is that, uh, yes, you're going to be doing what you're doing. Yes, you're going to be paying attention to the physical sensation, to the muscle. But also, in addition to that, you're also broadening up to having the whole sense of what's happening, of the sense of ease or effort. or uh, and, and so that sense of really there's so much more that's happening that in the experience of the moment. Right, right. And to me, the essence of all that is bringing curiosity into the process. Um, when I was in um, in my SE training and I started questioning the way I was teaching yoga or how many of us teach, which is very directive, do this, do this, this is what it should look like. And it's like I still have to show what we're doing. I'm still directing, but 
how can we bring more invitational language, more um, invitation to explore into the process so that they can try it one way and try it another and get their own felt sense of what feels right. Now, if they're doing something that, you know, their knees way out of alignment, and even though that feels familiar and comfortable to them, I know that over time they're going to stress their knee joint. Well, I'm going to go and offer something else because I don't want, because often what feels comfortable feels right to us, whether that's long-term hurtful or not. I mean, that's no, that's uh, not rocket science to us, (laughs) but Still, even with that, I think it's so easy for us as certainly in the physical therapy realm and certainly as yoga teachers to come to it with, I have information that you need to get as opposed to inviting the patient or the student to explore their process with it. And that's what's left out, I think, in the physical therapy realm, in the Western medicine realm, that we need to wiggle a bit. You know, how do we invite um that client or that student into their process instead of yet again me telling them what they need to do to fix that knee, which, oh my gosh, I would be so bored. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I want to show, see the other side of what you're saying, okay? So on the one side, what I'm hearing, you know, loud and clear, is that sense as a physical therapist, um, you learn something from SE, and part of it is to have, uh, you know, the benefits of a more invitational approach. So yes. you think about it, you, you find a way to apply it there. But the other side of what you're saying, in a way, uh, is an interesting question about integration. And, you know, you mentioned curiosity. And curiosity is, you know, becomes possible when you have an experience of duality. You have an experience of what physical therapy is. You're exposed to the idea of another approach that's more invitational. So that the, the dichotomy between the two approaches, ah, there's something to explore. And then you start exploring it. Right. And, um, and then, uh, also that's not a sense of, oh, uh, it's about always being invitational all the time, but it's about your own integration. Of There are some moments where, of course, I want more integration in physical therapy, and there are some moments where, you know, it's not about letting, you know, it's about sharing that information. Right. So what I'm really appreciating in what you're saying is you're sharing your experience of what it's like to integrate, uh, you know, and that would apply to all kinds of other things that other SE practitioners would do. Right. And I think what's, what's really apparent to me in my own life as a professional and in my play life and whatever I do, that that curiosity is only available to me and or to my, my clients when they feel safe enough to explore. Mm-hmm. So just as you as a psychotherapist is part of our job is to create what container, whatever conditions help that person feel safe enough to start exploring. Yeah. So for me, that may be the mechanics of the body. I may teach them. I may do an assessment and share and play with some things of, okay, what would happen if you lengthened your spine a little bit more? Can you turn your head more? Can you move with more ease? And when they notice that, then the motivation is there to do the next thing, to actually 
do the practice of that's going to help them create the musculoskeletal pattern that's going to bring more ease to their body. Mm-hmm. But if they're just in pain and that's screaming at them, they're not interested in exploring anything. They want me to figure out what's wrong and fix it for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. a very, very nice point of um, that in a way of what happens in the session is part of it is you, you know, the larger truth may be the exploring, a larger benefit. But in order to get there, you have to find a place where you're going to be aligned and uh, and that's going to happen in a place of safety. That's right. And so, um, you know, the the purpose of going through the mechanics of how the body works is, it, it's interesting in and of itself, but it's also a gateway into creating right. that place of safety. Well, I'm often curious, and I ask myself as well as students and clients, you know, what is with having a body? What's the deal with that? <laughs> You know, sort of that existential, why Why body? Why did we, and who knows? I don't know. But what is clear to me that having this physical mechanism that I traverse my life in uh, seems to be quite useful on this planet. And it's an amazing teaching tool if I pay attention to it. So, whereas when I look at babies, all of their learning comes through their physical felt sense. They don't have a word for being hungry. There's a sensation in their belly that they don't like and they cry. And so it's, and it's still the same for us at 50, 60, 70 years old. It's just that we've put all this language on so that we've, we think that hunger is a, a, well, hunger may be a, that's not a great example, but when I feel afraid and we ask somebody, well, what does that feel like? Well, I'm just afraid. As opposed to, oh, it's this clutching, it's this gripping that I do, and because we've disconnected that. So I think through coming back into my body, into helping my clients come back into feeling what's going on, that deepens whatever the experience is. The pain in their knee doesn't feel maybe quite as scary so that they can play with it and work with it and learn about it and aren't walking around in this guarded way because, oh my gosh, am I going to have to have surgery? Am I going to be able to to hike anymore? Am I going to be able to ski? Or is this going to ruin my life? And so that, to me, even if they have, quote, a simple diagnosis of a torn meniscus, it may be it has all of these other layers of how is this going to affect my life? Yeah. So it does go into ex, more existential, more, um, what is this? And if I limit what I'm doing to that torn meniscus, I've left the whole huge part of who that person is out of the process that's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a very, very beautiful explanation of why just the diagnosis, the technical term, the torn meniscus, uh, which seems so simple and so objective, is actually a, an amazing way to leave out the whole experience of the human being who yes. is there. Yeah. And so uh, I think you're, you're very nicely describe how um, in doing that, you're not really helping the person, but what you're doing is figuring out uh, is uh, um, just uh, actually by not just treating a torn meniscus, 
and paying attention to the experience of the person, the felt sense that goes beyond, uh, separate, you know, uh, loosen up that uh, complex network of fears that prevent right. people from dealing with what's happening. Right. Right. And then the process... Um, I think when we do that, we have the possibility of coming out of healing that knee um, with much more ease in the entire being, not just less pain in the knee. Mm. Um, one point, a good friend of mine um, who was my first yoga teacher 30 plus years ago and still a good friend, and I teach a therapeutic yoga class. And I've sort of done this by the seat of my pants. I didn't know anybody that was teaching classes for therapeutic things. It was like, I don't know how to do this. So let's play. And one day, and I was talking to him once and he said, well, what's your goal in that class? And I said, well, hopefully if somebody comes to the therapeutic class, but, and they may be a regular yoga student, but they just keep irritating, injuring their shoulder in a yoga class. And so they come to try to figure that out. And I said, well, I think what I hope is that if somebody comes with a shoulder injury, that as long as they're coming to that class, that they learn about that shoulder in such a way that if the next time they hurt their knee, they have more skill to bring to what's going on with their knee. And he sort of sat back and he said, that's a pretty lofty goal. And my thought was, anything less than that is worthless. Mm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Teaching them how to fix, how to line up that shoulder when they're doing downward facing dog, I have gone into that medical model of all we're paying attention to is their shoulder. And to me, that's not yoga. It's not somatic experiencing. All we're paying attention to is the muscles and the ligaments and the bones of that shoulder joint. And I don't know how to do that anymore. So we just laughed, but I loved his response of, well, that's a pretty lofty goal. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was like, but that's what the wholeness, the integration has the possibility to give us. They may not know the mechanics of their knee if they hurt their knee, but maybe some of that deeper learning of working with their shoulder will come to play when, you know, they're living in a body, they're active people. That knee's going to go at some point or, or their ankle or something else. I mean, it's inevitable. We've got bodies, you know. And um, so I think to try to come to those physical, you know, tissue issues <laughs> mm-hmm. with something deeper than that has the capacity to help us um, come to any challenge in our lives with maybe a little more skill, maybe a little more integration, maybe a little bit more ease. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that, that's, uh, that's really literally that moment. Any moment is going to be a moment of awareness, of mindfulness, of learning, of expanding. And yes, it is a lofty goal, but not in a not in a derogatory way. It's what we want. You know, anything less than that is not, you know, it's, it's not of, worth it. What's the point? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's uh, that's that's really a sense of you know that's uh, it's wonderful to draw attention that otherwise it's really limiting and actually depriving us of what makes it fun to be alive. Right. And as um, a person who has come out of a 
you know, certainly my study as a physical therapist was in a more traditional Western medicine model. That's a hurdle for some of of my patients to go over, to climb over. Mm-hmm. They may come in with an expectation of we're going to exercise this knee and make my knee feel better because they that's what they went to their doctor for. That's what they possibly got sent to me for. And there's a bit of a um, sometimes there's a, a bit of a um, uh, clumsiness. <laughs> initially to invite that possibility to some of the people that walk into my office because they don't necessarily walk in thinking this is where we're going to go. Yeah, yeah. the expectation is really that it's going to be very focused on the knee and uh, and it's technical and it has nothing to do with the rest of life and has nothing to do with learning and uh, and right. and what what I like also very much and what you the way you articulated what you do and the goal of it is that uh you know the very same goals could be stated in terms that would be uh spiritual or uh you know holistic and in that way sound a little bit mysterious but what you're articulating is actually a learning process uh, which helps open up people and, you know, doesn't feel mysterious or esoteric as it happens. Right. Some of my favorite clients are engineers. Mm-hmm. I love engineers because I can talk about the mechanics of the, or scientists. Um, I can talk about the mechanics of the body in a way that they totally get it. And yet then we can stretch that a little bit to, um, you know, that if when the mechanics of a building don't work, you know, if the foundation of that building is not there, I don't care how good the roof is, that building's going to fall down. So they can get that if there's something going on in your hip, we need to look at least at your ankle and your knee and your breath and your shoulders. And because they do have that capacity, and yet they may walk in with a fairly um, mechanical, mechanical understanding of the body and and have a lot of fun when that starts expanding. Yeah, yeah. Where I used to think, well, how can I get them out of this headset that it's just how the lower leg attaches to the upper leg? It's like, no, they get this. They may have lost it, but um, it's really fun to see that starting to stretch from whatever uh, whatever paradigm somebody comes in. If it's an engineer, I'm going to talk to them in mechanical terms. If it's an artist, I'm going to try to find their language that will help them sense, sense that possibility of, um, if they're a dancer, we're going to start talking in dance terms. So how do I match whatever paradigm they come in with, whatever their language, their way of seeing the world, and then can we take that and expand it into something that includes the whole of their living in a human body in this existence as a human and to me that that um, expansion and teasing that out is just um, fun and interesting and um, a delightful process not all sometimes hard work yeah but that's okay that's yeah, okay yeah but so um, I 
as I, as I hear you say it, I want to describe it in a way that invites the potential for a bridge for people who come from a different perspective, say a psychotherapist, to do this. So you're coming from the perspective of um, physical therapist, paying attention to the body, being aware of the mechanics of the body, and people come to see you with a focus on specific body issue pinpointed. But what happens is in your own experience, you have a sense of the body not just being a mechanical thing or isolated parts, uh, but a larger sense with an interaction, a sense of the interaction of these you know, processes that people call body or mind, and how there's a whole, you know, how it, it can fit. And as you have that awareness, you find a way to actually connect with the people uh, who you see uh, in a finding a way to make a bridge so that you can, in a way, share that knowledge, curiosity, awareness uh, of uh, stepping from the smaller uh, issue to that larger perspective. Right. And uh, so maybe in the same way as a psychotherapist, you know, a psychotherapist has a, a more of a focus on psychological phenomena, the mind, emotions, people come to see them with a focus on that. And, uh, you know, as we are more, uh, you know, more of a focus on the nervous system, on the, the whole person, the uh, body interaction, uh, that our own integration in a similar way to what you do is to have a sense of pulling people from the uh, specific pinpointed uh, focus that they can have into that larger perspective where right. there is this interaction of, you know, what we conventionally call body-mind, you know, and right. that larger sense of the person. Right. At some point, we might find a new label, even in saying body-mind. Yeah. We're... <laughs> You know, we need a, a, a bigger term that holds that, that even the label ha acknowledges the separation as opposed to the connection. Yeah. So I don't know what that label would be, but I would challenge us to um, find an umbrella that holds holds that instead of a separated language that it's a connection. But, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think we are doing that same thing of finding our way into um, teasing out those um, possibly be possibly disconnected ways of experiencing ourselves, helping our clients to do that and bringing it into more integration that everything that happens to us physically, emotionally, spiritually affects all of us, that it doesn't just affect this place where maybe the, the client's focus is. Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. has a, a, a bigger, um, uh, effect on how they're walking in the world. Yeah. And 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 what I want to emphasize again as I'm hearing you it feels really beautiful in what you're saying and describing is that yes it's it's grounded in that sense of the, you know the interconnectedness of all these things. But uh the difference between what you say and what you do versus uh what often can be uh you know perceived that way the cliche is that uh Paying attention to the interconnectedness of these things uh, from some people implies that what's going to happen is some kind of a magical ceremony. Uh, and what you're doing is you're very much grounded in the focus of the physical therapy, of, you know, the things to do to improve, uh, you know, the uh, condition of people within. It's very consistent. 
uh, with paying and focusing on that. But it's done within a context which has awareness of that larger context. Right. So it's the opposite of magical thinking that's going to cure things. You're very much doing the mechanics of what needs to be done, but it's enriched by that larger context. That's right. Um, people that have chronic pain, uh, whether that's um, an, um, an immune system, autonomic nervous system kind of issue and or a... Again, even in saying this, it sounds like I'm saying these are different and they're really not. <laughs> or, you know, just, um, or specific muscle joint pain. Um, it takes a lot of, it, it's amazing. I, I don't have chronic pain, so they have to teach me what that's like. Um, I've been blessed with a fairly healthy body. And have I had some pain in my life, physical pain? Yes, but I don't, I'm not somebody who experiences chronic or persistent pain. And, but what I do learn from these people is how exhausting that can be. Mm. And when all of my effort, when most of my life, you know, somebody that has chronic, you know, fairly frequent migraines, a huge amount of their life is going into not doing the things that would trigger that because so there's this huge aversion to um, eating the right thing or or being in situations that may trigger that whatever that syndromal pattern might be for them and whereas I may have physical tools of working with blood pressure of working with mechanics in the shoulders and neck that I will certainly offer them if we don't also look at how this is affecting their whole quality of life of, well, I can't go out at night. I can't spend time with my friends because if I get tired, I know what's going to happen the next day and helping to find a way to negotiate that in a way that they have a full experience of their life. And then sometimes a headache comes Yeah, as opposed to, I have pain all the time. And then, you know, just asking, well, is that true? Is there ever a moment that you have a little bit less pain? And starting to tease that into noticing those moments that are just a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And then maybe there'll be another moment that's a little bit better, all the while working with the mechanics of the body to try to reduce their pain, but also to help shift their um, whole life experience of from someone who always has pain to, well, sometimes I have headache. And mm -hmm. that can be huge in terms of what the nervous system does with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So instead of that constant... You know, fog. pervasive, yeah. something that's controlling my life. It's something that I have to work with sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And then I can uh, figure out tools and I can bring curiosity right. and I can experiment. That's right. And then I'm active. But my experience is I always have pain. There is no curiosity there. Yeah. It's about avoidance. It's about, you know, not, not doing things that make it worse. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty darn way of struggle to walk through a day yeah, is to is. constantly be avoiding anything that might make this worse. Yeah. Um, and if we, and, and we do have tools, we know how to work with that. So if we can invite that possibility, 
sometimes to me that's the first thing to work with rather than even the tools for, quote, making the pain better. Because if I'm not as afraid of the pain, the side benefit that, of that is often the pain is experienced as less. <laughs> you know, we don't know how to quantify pain. And I think that's probably, I mean, you know, we've got those scales of 1 to 10, which I think are fairly useless. Um, <laughs> but um, we don't have... So it's that personal experience of it is, is, is it something that I can go, oh, this is that experience, but it doesn't have to totally control my life, doesn't have to control, totally control my day. It's something that I can bump into and then I can go out and hang out the clothes. Yeah. Or I can come into and, oh, there's that. And then I can go walk the dog. Yeah. So that's really very, you know, in a way, maybe that might be a good conclusion in some of the, 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 the similarities with, say, a trauma model is, uh, you know, you've described a way to shifting from a mode of overwhelm uh, yeah. to a mode of regaining some control and progressively right. having some action right. uh, into it. Some sense of choice about it instead of oh, always being done to mm-hmm. by whatever's going on in my body, that feeling a victim of that as opposed to coming into partnership with the body that can actually affect whatever it is that we'd like to be different. Yeah. And so so maybe, again, part of, you know, again, consistent with what we've talked about is that shifting from the overwhelm, even like total pain or overwhelmed by a small part of the body that's in a way rebelling or not functioning, to reintroducing the whole person in the process. Right. And, uh, and so uh, part of what we're talking about is, in a way, considering something where, you know, the person has disappeared or has been made, uh, you know, incompetent or overwhelmed to, ha, ah, yeah, I can, I, can, I can exist again. I'm part of yes. it. I'm the, you know. Yes. So a recovery. Yes. Yeah. Taking that next breath. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thanks, Patty. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.